Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. If you haven't voted already, today is the day to cast your ballot. It's election day in New Mexico, and while it is an off year for federal elections, there are a lot of big races on the ballot here in Albuquerque. The mayoral race, a bond for a professional soccer stadium, five city council races, and the biggest school district in the state, Albuquerque Public Schools, has four school board seats on the ballot with no incumbents running for school board this year. Lots of big decisions that could alter the direction of the city and local schools. Here with us today to talk about the significance of this election, KRQE's own political analyst and UNM political science professor, Gabe Sanchez. Gabe, thank you for being here. Thanks. It's a pleasure to, to be able to speak with y'all about some of these elections. Any, anytime we start to see the leave change, we know that it's election season. Uh, so we got a lot to talk about. I appreciate you having me on. It's worth mentioning we're currently recording this ahead of Election Day. Early voting has been underway since October 5th. And the thought is the dynamics of this election could drive more voters to the polls. So, Gabe, let's start by addressing our mayoral candidates here in Albuquerque. Crime is obviously at the forefront of everyone's minds. And it's a topic all of our candidates have been addressing on the campaign trail. Is this election a referendum on crime in Albuquerque? I think there's going to be a perception that it is um, right among the public. And I think the candidates have spent a lot of time talking about crime. Manny Gonzalez knows how to fight crime. How do we fight crime? Mayor Keller. That's the way we go after criminals for you. Uh, But obviously, right, a mayor does a lot more than just address crime. And so I think you could interpret it as a referendum on crime. Um, And I think depending on what the election outcome is, there'll be a lot of armchair quarterbacking on that. Uh, I will say that when the onset of the candidates emerged, and particularly when Sheriff Gonzalez announced his candidacy, myself with a lot of other experts perceived that Keller might be in trouble, might actually have a tough race, at least go to a runoff, because there was an opportunity there. I think Keller was vulnerable given the context of crime in the city, not just the raw statistics, but obviously news coverage that basically reminded people within the county, and particularly the city of Albuquerque, Uh, that violent crime was up. And, you know, every single week, it seemed like there was something newsworthy about that. So it made, I think, uh, Mayor Keller vulnerable uh, for a challenger to be able to come in and really seize an opportunity, given, you know, how salient crime um, is to voters in this election cycle. And as we'll get into later, I think my take on it is uh, the sheriff didn't seize that opportunity, Um, really did not get his campaign off the ground, I think was sidetracked a lot by his goal to get public financing. And consequently, that window of opportunity there, I think, closed without, you know, the sheriff, in my opinion, being able to take advantage of that and really make this a much tighter race than I think it ended up being. You had mentioned the idea of campaign fundraising kind of getting sidetracked by that. Since 2005, of course, the thing to note here is that Albuquerque has had a system of publicly financing candidates for mayor and city council. That idea to be sort of to lessen the influence of private money and donations on city races. So candidates, in order to get this public financing, have to collect signatures and $5 donations from city voters, and then they can qualify for those public funds. So Keller qualified. He nets $661,000 or a little bit more than that. Sheriff Gonzalez was denied this funding after a a sort of lengthy, high-profile court battle, as Gabe, you mentioned there. Sheriff Manny Gonzalez has one more chance now to explain why his mayoral campaign deserves public financing 
after he and his staff were accused of breaking election rules. Manny's campaign was even found to have some of their qualifying support signatures fraudulently obtained. Gonzalez's campaign just held a news conference about an hour ago saying they plan to move forward with private financing. And then Gonzalez switched to private fundraising and he's raised nearly $500,000 by mid-October. Should Gonzalez have gone for this private fundraising to begin with? I think his campaign's going to look back on it and say absolutely they should have. Uh, but hindsight's always 2020, right? There, I think there was a, a strategic advantage always to have public financing, uh, primarily because you don't have to invest as much energy as a candidate raising funds. Um, so I think they'll look back at it and say, you know, in hindsight, maybe we should have just not invested a lot of energy in, in, in the fun context of trying to get public financing, because clearly they can raise money. And I think if they would have made that decision twofold, one, they would have had more money than Keller at the end of the day to spend on their campaign. And two, they would never have had this fiasco of, of trying to argue about whether or not they committed fraud and allowing not only the Keller campaign, but the Otter Gold campaign to really do a lot of damage, hammering whether or not that's an indicator of lack of honesty, transparency, et cetera, within the Gonzalez campaign. So obviously all of us can look back in the rearview mirror and say, hey, you should have just went with private financing because clearly they can raise money. Not only am I more inspired more than ever, but I'm also ready to win this race. Uh, but elections, like everything else in life, right? You don't get the opportunity to do a redo and they're going to have to live with the consequences of that early decision. Do you believe that Manny's campaign is at any real disadvantage because of his change in fundraising? Oh, uh, I don't necessarily say a disadvantage, right? They, they've clearly shown that they could pivot and raise money. Uh, but, you know, in the context of just thinking about Keller as a publicly financed campaign, it's really important to note the advantage that he had as an incumbent. Us political scientists, we always speak to incumbency advantage, mostly talking about name recognition, all those other things that come with being an incumbent, which were very real in this election. But in the context of public financing, it's painfully obvious, right, that Keller has been through this before. He knew what was required in getting those names. He knew the law well, and his team did. So they had a running start at being able to be successful, uh, get the signatures that you need, get them early, get that out of the way, and then move forward with the campaign where all other candidates, right, that have never been through that, you don't realize how challenging it is not only to get those signatures, but to make sure you don't violate any of the policies and laws. And that, you know, bore itself out. Uh, very transparently in this election. Let's talk about the Aragon factor as a third candidate. He entered the race just before the filing deadline saying Republicans needed to be represented in this election. Both Tim Keller and Manny Gonzalez identify as Democrats, while Gonzalez has run with a message appealing to conservative voters. How much of a factor is Eddie Aragon in this race? And could his presence on the ballot split the conservative vote between him and Manny? Yeah, Mr. Aragon has, has done a tremendous job in his campaign, despite not having tremendous Resources. I realize that the mayor's office can be a dead-end political job, but that's perfect for me because I have no political ambitions. I just want to live in a better city. I've actually been very impressed uh, with, with the campaign that he's mounted. And although we have to remind our audience that this, in theory, is not a partisan election in the city of Albuquerque, uh, but we all know partisanship matters. And it's had a huge influence on not only this campaign, but every other, despite it's supposed to, to be a nonpartisan election. And so Aragon running as a Republican and the message themes that he's put across that I feel have had a bit of traction in the campaign, I think definitely benefits Keller. Uh, I mean, I think Keller, if he especially does not go to a runoff and is able to win this outright, 
I think uh, the analysis will show that uh, Aragon was able to cut in a bit into Gonzalez's vote share, uh, which I think will be critical in thinking about that threshold of 50% and not needing to go to a runoff. Um, I, I don't have to tell viewers out there, the worst thing that could happen uh, for incumbent Keller is going to a runoff because in that context, anything can happen. So I think his number one priority was let's make sure I wrap this up with 50% of the vote and don't have to go into a runoff. And I think the fact that Aragon not only has run a good campaign, but he has actually, you know, attacked Gonzalez in some of the debates because they've had their own squabbles about ethics, et cetera, I think has definitely helped uh, incumbent candidate Mayor Kelly. This is the first mayoral election that we've had on a November ballot. Usually these are happening in October, but there was some shift in how elections are conducted here locally. Do you think that impacts turnout at all in this case? And and maybe do you have an expectation for what turnout might be? Yeah, I think the the election change in terms of the system, it was a little too early to tell whether or not that'll impact turnout. But let's talk a little bit about turnout. Uh, turnout, in my opinion, like it always is, will be key in the outcome of this race. Uh, viewers know I'm a brokered record on this. Every single election, I'm always stressing the importance and relevance of turnout, uh, primarily because in Albuquerque, where the number of Democrats outnumber Republicans by a wide margin, uh, turnout is always a critical factor. In fact, I believe in Bernalillo County, Democrats have like a 19% advantage in party registration. So, you know, the obvious is if turnout is high, Democrats are always going to do well in citywide elections in the city of Albuquerque just because they start with an inherent advantage. And so rallying their base, getting turnout as high as possible, uh, that's going to benefit Keller in this race like it always benefits Democrats in, in city elections. And so for some context, in Keller's first race, right, where he emerged victorious, uh, there was about 29% of registered voters who cast a ballot in the election uh, that saw Tim Keller ultimately defeat Dan Lewis. That, for some context for viewers out there, was in a modern era, huge turnout for mayoral elections in Albuquerque, up from like 19% in Mayor Barry's re-election campaign in 2013. But for some context, remember, this was essentially a, a more of an election about uh, President Trump's victory than anything else. Right. There were a lot of Democrats were highly energized after seeing uh, Trump victorious. And so there was a lot of context that we don't have in this election. So I would not anticipate getting anywhere near 29 percent uh, registered voters. But I think if turnout reaches anywhere near 25 percent uh, of eligible voters in this election cycle, I think Keller wins outright with no runoff. That That's kind of how I'm. I'm pedging the, the, the role of turnout in this election. There's definitely been some debate fireworks in recent weeks that people are talking about. Did Gonzalez's style of campaigning at all affect him in this race? The elephant in the room. Um, what impact, if any, did Manny Gonzalez going dirty in, in his debate performance? Um, what impact will that have not only on the election, but on uh, Sheriff Gonzalez's political future? And I will say when I saw that live, um, I was a bit surprised uh, to, to see that level of personal attack coming from, from Manny Gonzalez. And for some context, right, accusations without any substantiation at the time. And even, you know, now a week out, still no evidence coming from the Gonzalez campaigns of his mudslinging, which basically personally attacked Mayor Keller on very, you know, contentious things. Domestic violence, covering up drunk driving of a high level staff member and potentially having, I believe, not one, but two affairs, right? That's high charge stuff uh, that if you don't have anything to back it up whatsoever, in my opinion, was well below the belt 
and does not have a place in politics in the state of New Mexico. We, we haven't really seen a game-changing moment as a result of that. And I will say that most of what I've heard from New Mexicans, even those who support Sheriff Gonzalez, was they did not like that approach. And, and I think as a consequence, this is probably going to bode the end of, of Manny Gonzalez as a candidate for high-level offices moving forward. We'd be having a much different conversation if he had any shred of evidence uh, but they haven't come out with that yet, and they're running out of time to do so if they think it's going to impact the mayoral election outcome. This is the kind of stuff that keeps people like myself from even thinking about running for office, right? You've got a lot of really smart people across the state of New Mexico uh, who are always thinking about running for office, but they look at something like this and say, do I want to subject my family to this type of behavior? Um, I'll say, I always look at this and say, you know what? It's a lot more fun to call these elections and be an analyst then put myself into the fray like this, um, where you not only have to be good on ethics, but you have to always be concerned with somebody raising completely baseless, unsubstantiated claims that you have to explain to your family on television. And I think that's the unfortunate reality. It minimizes the number of good candidates we'll see emerge down the line. The million dollar question. In your opinion, how much of a lock, so to speak, is Keller for winning another four year term? Or are you sort of hesitant on maybe making a projection there? I think it's pretty close to a lock. I don't usually say that. Y'all know me by now. I always give myself a little bit of wiggle room because I've never got an election wrong in my career yet. And I don't want to start that path today. Um, so I think it's definitely a lock. I think the, the bigger question is, do we go to a runoff or not? Uh, so I think Keller wins if we go to a runoff. But I, I think the bigger question is, will we wrap this all up and will our viewers not have to spend the Thanksgiving season arguing with their family about this election? Right. I think that's the bigger question um, right now, primarily because we finally had an independent poll come out that saw Keller above 50 percent in projected vote share uh, and saw his approval rating at 50 percent. Those are big numbers for those of us that track polls for a living. Uh, so I think I'm pretty comfortable saying that we will not see a runoff election in this race. Um, I think we will wrap this up um, on election day and, and be able to move on. Okay, let's shift gears just a little bit. A new soccer stadium is another big item on the ballot. So I was super grateful for the isotopes to the mayor, for everyone that's allowed us to, to make this our home. We know we also need our own home, our own place for the United. Voters are being asked if they want the city to take out a $50 million bond to build a soccer stadium, which would be mostly used by the New Mexico United USL soccer team. United currently uses Isotopes Park. First, do you think that this could drive more young voters to the polls? That, that was always the perception. Uh, I mean, in fact, in, in talking to at least the Keller campaign folks who felt that, you know, that people supporting the stadium were going to be Keller voters, I think they always felt that this might drive turnout, particularly among young voters, and that would be good for their campaign. It will be your decision to get United a home in Albuquerque until I hope in November. Um, I think to a certain extent that is true, uh, but especially as you see some polling numbers that show this isn't very popular <laughs> among voters citywide, the speculation now shifts, well, maybe it will drive turnout a bit. But turnout among folks who want to vote no against this thing, will that actually cut into Keller's projected vote share? So it's it's turned pretty quickly from most of us thinking that this was a pretty popular thing to the longer there's been discussion about this. I think increasingly I'm hearing from folks uh, they're not going to support the stadium. And so I think, you know, that's probably where things are at. Y'all have seen the Albuquerque 
journalist poll, which shows this is probably not going to pass. Um, if I had to hedge my bet on this, that's probably where I would fall as well. What does it say about Albuquerque and maybe what does it say about the Keller administration if this stadium bond fails? Would you expect maybe the city to come back again? I think that'll be very interesting. Uh, and, and I would say the way I would interpret not only what I've seen from polls, but what I'm hearing from folks whenever I'm in the community. I would not say that the majority of, of Albuquerque residents do not want a stadium. The clear indication is they want a stadium. They just don't think the taxpayers should have to foot the bill for it. So that's a much different thing, right? It's not that people are saying, let's not build a stadium. They just think like, why do we have to put this on the backs of taxpayers, right? So I think if it doesn't pass, and keep in mind contextually, New Mexicans, not just city of Albuquerque residents, pass dang near everything on ballot initiatives and when it comes to raising taxes for libraries, schools, you know, anything, you name it, for the most part, New Mexicans are very supportive of those initiatives. So if this fails, right, it's pretty telling. Um, and I think uh, the, the Keller administration with their next four years and everybody supporting this stadium are going to have to think about new funding streams because I think if they put it back on the ballot, especially given how much money has been spent from PACs, et cetera, trying to get this passed, um, I think they're going to have to take a second look at it because I don't think putting it back on the ballot, it's going to come to a different outcome. They need different funding streams for this thing. Another big deal, school board elections. This is the first time APS school board elections have been on the November ballot, and that will certainly impact turnout. Last year with the pandemic and remote learning, the school board faced a lot of scrutiny. And now with no incumbents running, hopefully people researched these candidates because as we learned from last year, the school board does hold a lot of power. Are you impressed at how many people are just running considered there are four people vying for one board seat in district three in the North Valley. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before we, we jumped on and started recording. There's been a national trend of folks moving in droves away from school boards, right? Just like we're seeing here, incumbents not really seeking reelection. And that's obvious, right? The context of, of schooling and school policy during COVID has been a nightmare, for school boards here, as well as across the country, having to consider things like mass mandates, having to consider things like a max exodus of teachers, all these challenges, nobody signed up for any of that when they decided to run for school board. And the contentious nature of these discussions, not just here in New Mexico, but everywhere across the country, right, makes this a very difficult job. So the fact that you have had a lot of interest from candidates to jump into these races is impressive. I mean, I can't think of too many folks that say, Sign me up for that job in this context. And the fact that we do have some strong candidates, I think is impressive. And it's something that hopefully voters are researching to be able to cast um, educated votes on, uh, on really, really important decisions. I think one thing that the pandemic has made clear is for a lot of voters who don't pay close attention uh, to school board elections, and we know because the dismal turnout rates for our school board elections tell us that, I think now New Mexicans realize just how important school boards are and the decisions that they make have consequences. Yeah. So how hard did these school board candidates have to campaign, do you think? And and do you believe that the majority of voters will actually know who they're voting for here when they get to the voting booth? Well, I think there's a lot of speculation that because these have moved now with the mayoral election, turnout will be a bit higher and you might have people a little bit more interested in the race. Um, I do think turnout's going to be a bit higher. I don't think you're going to see a ton of people rolling off and just voting top of the ticket and not casting ballots for school board. Uh, but I don't think it's increased 
the, the, the really internal research that voters will do on school boards. Unfortunately, I just, I just don't think that's going to happen. So I think you're going to have a lot of people casting ballots uh, for these uh, school board races that really don't know a whole lot about the candidates, to be honest. Would you expect that schools becomes a big topic in the 2022 election or continues to be? Um, I, I do. I mean, obviously, a lot is, is the context of who the candidates are, whether or not their, their opinions and, and campaign strategies around schools are different from each other. So, you know, obviously there's a lot to be said uh, in, in terms of what the future holds. But absolutely. I mean, keep in mind, education, take it away from schools and school policy. But education is always a top five issue. I don't care what election we're talking about in the state of New Mexico. Voters care deeply about schools and our education system. And that ain't going to change. If anything, it'll only become more salient. But I think the context of COVID, policy decisions around schools, teacher shortages, teacher pay equity, all these issues that have emerged as so important during the pandemic aren't going anywhere. And so I think candidates in 2022 and beyond are going to have to think smartly about how they will tackle some of these issues if they want to be victorious in campaigns in a state where constantly, since I was a little kid, we've always talked about Who's going to come up with strategies that will improve our education system, which all of us believe are the key driver to bigger economic development? There's always been that discussion uh, since I was in elementary school, a student here at Sierra Vista Elementary School way out in the West Side, and that ain't going to change in my lifetime. Gabe, to wrap this up, are you an early voter or an election day voter? Always an early voter. Always have been. And and, and will continue to do uh, largely because I have to spend election day crunching numbers and preparing for for the work that I do in the evenings. Uh, But I think for most informed voters, right, it's not always the case, right? In some cases you say, well, there might be some fireworks in the last couple of days of the election. I want to wait to see what happens. I think for highly informed voters, increasingly, you know what you need to know to make up your decisions at least a handful of days in advance. So many New Mexicans want to get out there, myself included, uh, get voting out of the way uh, so you can spend more time just looking at it as entertainment and not having to soak up information to try to inform your vote. We didn't really talk to Gabe about city council much in our episode, but it's worth noting that there are five city council districts on the ballot here, representing three west side districts, Uptown and Southeast Albuquerque. Now, of those five races, there are a few interesting things to note. Let's start with District 9. That is where one of the few Republicans on the council, Don Harris, is not running for re-election. That's the area covering Four Hills, Southeast Central Avenue. Don Harris has been in the seat since 2005. Also, in District 7, Diane Gibson, a Democrat, is not running for re-election. She is leaving the seat, which covers Uptown Albuquerque, and there are six different candidates who are vying to replace her. There is also District 5. This is one that you're going to really want to watch tonight, and this is on the west side. A former city councilor who ran for mayor in 2017, Dan Lewis, is vying to win back his old council seat. Lewis, as well, is a Republican. He is running against council president and a Democrat, Cynthia Borrego. There is also a third candidate in that mix, Philip Ray Ramirez. 
There is also District 3, Clarissa Pena is running unopposed, and District 1, Lon Senna, is running to retain her seat. She is facing a challenger, Louis Sanchez. So many thanks to Gabe Sanchez for his perspective this week, and if you haven't already, go out and vote. Gabe will also be joining us on KRQE News 13 throughout the evening, on air and online, with live coverage of election results, so you can join us there. If you have comments, questions, suggestions, you can reach out to me at Chris McKee TV on Twitter or email me at chris.mckee at krqe.com. And I'm G. Burke NM on Twitter and Gabrielle.burkhart at krqe.com. Thanks for listening.